Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today, we're pleased to welcome Kelly Lannon back to the show for an informative discussion on the financial habits of Gen Z and millennial investors. Kelly, who first joined us for an episode last summer, is Senior Vice President Emerging Customers with Fidelity Investments based out of Boston. This year, we've seen a global trend, the Great Resignation in North America. But millennials aren't just rethinking their career moves. They are also making the shift to reprioritize longer-term financial strategies. So, how are the younger generations investing? And how much are investment decisions impacted by life stages rather than more linear by age, as was more common with other generations? Kelly joins host Pamela Ritchie today to answer that question. Today's podcast was recorded on August 8th, 2022. And please note that in today's discussion, Kelly references studies completed by Fidelity Investments in the United States, as well as some products, apps, services, and marketing initiatives applicable to the U.S. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Kelly, it's great to see you. Welcome. Hi, Pamela. It's so good to see you again. And thank you so much for having me. This is a, one of my favorite topics, so I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, we are thrilled that you're joining us here today. And I wonder if I might just kind of open this up a little bit and, and get not so much a definition of terms, but the idea of what you're kind of drilling down in in terms of who you're looking at. Yeah, so when we use the term younger investors, um, my team is really focused on those who are under the age of 36 years old. Now, Pamela, something else that's shifted because they are also a part of this definition as well as they need money help too, and their parents need money help too, is we are actually also looking at teens. So those who are under 18, What's interesting about this you know, group of individuals we're looking at, and, and this is something I constantly have to even educate my peers on, is there is no single young segment. I think right. sometimes people talk about young people as if we're all the same person. And yes, I'm concerning yeah. myself young in this, although I am I am not under the age of 36. But yes, um, they're looking at everyone as the same young segment, which is very much not the case. You know, we actually have two separate generations in there. So we have the millennials, which you've already touched upon. We also have Gen Z. We have men, women, we have those who need a little bit more help versus those who are more self-directed. We have a variety of individuals. And the other thing that's so important to note, now granted, we all went through the pandemic together, but just life stages. You know, Pamela, I don't know if you can relate to this, but so often, you know, what was happening in my life, whether that was getting a job or or getting married or buying a home or, or having my first kid, those really dictated, you know, some of the financial decisions that I had to make honestly, whether I liked it or not. So we're often seeing that some of kind of these life events that occur during the period of those age ranges, and nowadays people are doing it all different times, there's really no linear way to do it, are really another reason what's driving people to kind of lean in more in terms of their finances. 
So, okay, that's what I want to pick up on because, um, as you say, you almost get put into little eras within your life, you know, as these things happen, sometimes completely planned, sometimes they just come along um, and they are planned. But it it leads to, I think what you've described there is just incredibly diverse, in fact, and, and probably something to just be aware of it and kind of hold that reality on some level, like an incredibly diverse group. Yes, exactly. I mean, younger people nowadays, you know, are more diverse than previous generations. And, you know, their approach to life, work, money, it's all really unique. And obviously, we all faced and are still facing some of those external factors, whether that's the pandemic or market volatility, inflation, and just the craziness of, of living life nowadays. But for a lot of these individuals, you know, millennials and Gen Z, the world is just different than generations before us. And I might have even mentioned the last time that I was on this, but millennials, Gen Z, we just simply are not making as much as previous generations. And, and that's just a fact. And so, well, at times, you know, different life stages are just happening different. Like not everyone graduates from university and immediately, you know, buys a home, starts a family, et cetera. A lot of it is, you know, just because of the cost of everything. Um, People are graduating with more student debt. You know, these are generations that are going to school more. Women are going to more school than men. So we're graduating with more debt than men. And it's just more expensive. So we we can't necessarily afford a a home right away as maybe previous generations could. And so just our needs are a little bit different. It's so interesting. And, And I mean, I think student debt has been a reality probably, I mean, for many generations. But It is more so now in terms of the calculation of how one might save, of how one might prioritize. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, you you know, definitely. I think that we often hear from a lot of young people that the reason that they can't achieve goals that they might have had in mind, um, you know, for example, buying a home, as I've already referenced, or they feel like they can't really start investing, making their money work a little bit harder for them is because they do have things like student debt or credit card debt. And they're really trying to prioritize paying off that debt, sometimes at the expense of, of some of these other longer term goals, which, you know, we, we never really like to see because we believe that you can do both. But Pamela, I get it, right? Like even the quote unquote good debt, like student debt is considered good debt because sometimes you need to take that on to put yourself through university in order to get a job one day. But like, Pamela, does that feel good to you? Like, I don't think so. So sometimes no, you feel awful. Yeah. feel awful. Sometimes you have to remind yourself that everyone else you see walking around in the street, that they also have a mortgage. And <laughs> that makes you feel better. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so I think like with all of the things that we've already mentioned, you know, younger generations, they they are making money moves that work best for them in their lifestyle. But listen, we just talked about a bunch of negatives. I do want to highlight some positives. Like during the course of the pandemic, Pamela, like we saw more younger people leaning into their money, coming to Fidelity for help, opening new accounts more than ever before. You know, Um, people had questions. People were at home. People could have these money conversations that weren't necessarily happening before. So I actually view that, I hate to say the positives of the pandemic, but that was actually something that that definitely was apparent, especially in the actions that they were taking. You know, I I work on the U.S. side of our business, too. Like, even in 2022, things have considered. You know, we've seen young people open almost 700,000 retail brokerage accounts in the first quarter of 2022 alone. So we are seeing tremendous growth because I think people are realizing, oh, wow, you know, I need to start leaning to my money. I need to start asking these questions. And they're seeing companies like Fidelity, which is great because we can help them as a place they can really go to for help. 
Right. That's so fascinating. So I wonder, we'll come back to some of these these thoughts as well, but I was curious when you mentioned pretty much off the top, the idea of, of teens also being interested. And, you know, that makes me think, is it just teens who maybe their parents are in finance and so they, you know, their parents or like are, are teens as a group, are you noticing things there? What, what do you see with a 15, 16, 17 year old? Yeah. So I think a few things, you know, um, it is interesting, like millennials and Gen Z, they do have some differences in terms of their money. You know, for Gen Z, who those who are who are under the age of 24, they really are almost more pragmatic when it comes to their money. In fact, wealth accumulation is a is a big goal of theirs. They see this as a way of like advancing their, themselves versus millennials. Not that they didn't want money. That's also a myth. You know, sometimes people ask, well, do young people like money? Of course, young people like money. But right. for a lot of millennials, you know, they were almost looking at it as like experiences and they were kind of prioritizing that among other things. Don't get me wrong. But for Gen Z, they have almost a, a pragmatism towards their money that millennials didn't necessarily have. Now, that could be a result of a few things. They did catch the, the tail end of the recession for those older Gen Zers. They did just live through a pandemic. They're currently going through, you know, crazy inflation. So I think this is really kind of helping to, to mold their mindset as well. But, you know, for mm-hmm. teens, we actually conducted a, a teens and money study. And, you know, we actually did see that Although, you know, a lot of teens were interested in getting started with investing, were interested in doing more with their money, you know, nearly half also at the same time were saying investing really does feel out of reach. And, you know, one in five were really starting to invest. So we are still seeing teens more heavily leaned into saving and spending. But to your point about parents, which I think is a good one, I don't think it's just having a parent in financial services, but it's just having money conversations with their parents. In fact, teens who actually had a conversation with their parents about investing were actually twice as likely to say that they had more confidence when it came to their finances. So I just want to say that because I, I know I'm sure there's folks, you know, who are listening right now who are in financial services. You know, I'm sure you're having conversations, but it shouldn't just be limited to the industry that y'all work are working at. These money conversations should be kind of just regular parent kid conversations frequently because we're actually seeing the benefit of doing so and helping to build the confidence of teens when it comes to their money. Obviously, everyone that we're talking about right now is digital native, have been really for decades at this point. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned that sometimes we want to get out of the house and go, you know, we're going into some of the branches. And so, I mean, you can kind of relate to that. So it's interesting, like, where is the line there? I mean, presumably almost everything's done online, but is there also sort of this face-to-face, you know, just kind of an urge to be sitting down with someone talking to someone? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see that with those who skew a little bit older, not necessarily seeing it with, with the teens, but I don't think we could ever dismiss the power of the face-to-face connection, the conversation, the even talking on the phone with someone. In fact, if you're looking when people are first starting their relationship with us, people actually are more likely to, to give us a call to reach out to us in those beginning stages versus the later stages. Like, you know, Pamela, I don't know about you, but there's comfort in that, right? Like you're starting a relationship with, it, it's like dating in many respects, right? Like you're starting a relationship with someone, you know, you have questions, you want to be able to ask them the questions, and then you might not just ask those same questions for years. It's kind of your life changes and maybe, you know, things in your life become a little bit more complex. But anytime money's involved, I, I think that there is is no substitution for actually talking to a human. Yeah, no, it's so interesting. And you did find, I think you mentioned in the study as well, or one of the studies, that 
that people are investing at a younger stage, which which goes back to sort of the conversation perhaps with parents or being more aware of it earlier on. But, you know, what what have you actually noticed there? Yeah, so we've actually found, you know, one of our recent Money Move study in 2022 that those between the ages of 18 to 24, you know, they are starting to invest earlier compared to all generations for them. And even women, which is really nice to see, is that young women were specifically starting to invest nearly a decade earlier than older women were. So this is something that makes me really happy. And But I do just want to say, uh, in terms of the teens especially, for everyone listening who has a teen girl, we have seen a little bit more of a delay in some of our teen girls kind of leaning in and starting to invest um, versus the teen boys. In fact, when we talked about teens of, of kind of both genders, you know, teen boys already were expressing more of an interest in investing than girls. So in my opinion, this is an area that we should wholeheartedly lean in. Like um, my parents, wonderful people, Mike and Paula, we never talked about investing ever, ever. And so I just urge everyone, you know, regardless of gender, making sure you're having these conversations with your kids in order to get them interested. Because, yes, to your point, you know, we, we've seen more younger people get started more than ever. You know, 2021 at, at Fidelity, I think we had over one million new accounts opened at Fidelity in the U.S., which was amazing. So that's all really good to see. But we need to make sure that we continue this trend, especially with the younger generations. That's so fascinating. So, so one of the things that I think you've mentioned that's new is, I mean, for instance, the inflation is kind of new. Like, People at a younger age, younger stage, entering job markets, thinking about entering job markets, are dealing with things like inflation that, you know, we haven't really dealt with in yeah. the 20 years or so. So I was just kind of curious. We're always like thinking, you know, how's the consumer doing? We know inflation's out there. We know the jobs are there and people, you know, generally are fully employed. But how is the consumer? Is that is that also like sensitive or is there sensitivity with with younger people who are spending or thinking maybe holding back on spending? Like, is there any color in there? Yes, definitely. And, and, you know, I think this is also although, yes, inflation directly hits one's money. I think this is when we do have to take a step back out of our industry and just also understand the world around us and how this does play a significant part on just people's attitudes towards money, feeling towards money, as well as their elevated stress. So. You know, one of our, our recent studies that we did, our, our money mindset study, actually said that over 60% of individuals, you know, they're afraid to check their account balance. It's almost like the out of out of mind, out of sight type thing. In fact, I think they actually told us that they'd rather spend time deep cleaning their bathroom. They're checking oh their I, I know, I know. Seriously. So when you hear something like that, it, it definitely causes you to pause. And I think that, you know, spending brings people joy, but people are only seeing as like the only way they can save is to really cut back on the spending, which means taking away the joy in their life. So it's just causing this stress that doesn't feel good. And then going back to one of our first points, Pamela, like even think about social, which we should talk about social in a second. How many memes have you seen around just like the cost of everything, inflation from, from gas to home prices, et cetera? You know, it just feels impossible to, to do anything. And so we're definitely seeing this have an impact, you know, on how people are feeling about their money. We're definitely seeing that have an impact on kind of the, the shift from like more of the spending habits that we saw, you know, during 2020 and 2021 during the pandemic. Now we're actually seeing some shifts to long-term planning and saving. So it is definitely starting to dictate how people are looking at their money, viewing their money, and more importantly, taking action against it. It's amazing. And as you say, we're going to come to social in just a second. I just wanted to kind of, again, one of the one of the points that you had made is 
people are renting for longer. And we know that in this market, we're seeing very, very high rental prices and so on. But it, after a while, that does kind of become an interesting kind of psyche to be in or a reality to be in. What do you notice on, on that front? Is it is it perhaps okay just to be renting longer? Like, does everyone still need to own a house? Or is there any commentary within that? Yeah, and so um, it's funny you say this because Again, going back to my parents, for years and years, they'd be like, buy a home. Why are you renting? Buy a home. Why are you renting? You're just throwing money. I, I think that's even going back to something else that we were talking about, just in shifts in mindsets of, you know, the different generations. You know, for, for a lot of people, um, just given their financial situation, it is fine with renting longer than maybe people did in the past. I don't think it should be seen as just, you know, quote unquote, you know, throwing money away. Is right. there um, merit to, uh, you know, buying a home, putting money towards your mortgage, and then one day kind of building your wealth? Of course. But you also have to kind of keep in mind, you know, what works in, in your life maybe didn't work in previous generations because we have other expenses and there are other things that come into mind. The other thing, too, is like, let's think about where people are renting, you know, cities. Um, people are returning to the office. Combine that with gas prices. You know, if you're living very far away from your office, you know, because you had to buy a home because you couldn't afford one close to your office, which might be in the city, and then you have to pay more for gas. Like, again, there's definitely a rub there. So, you know, this is, you know, my opinion. There, there's nothing wrong with renting because, again, you have to kind of take a step back and look at your personal financial situation. And you don't want to ever be, what is that term, um, you know, house poor. Have you heard of that term before, Pamela? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. You never want to be, quote, unquote, house poor, where you're putting so much in your house, you, you can't afford kind of the day-to-day or you can't afford the other expenses in your life. So there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to maybe take a step back because rent prices are increasing, rent prices are going up, and you do have to take a step back. And there's countless tools out there. Fidelity has the one, you know, should I rent or buy? Like use those to your advantage and really understand what's right with you based upon your financial situation. So fascinating. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you spend a lot of time with the strategy, making sure that you're accessible to those who are perhaps having conversations about finances or would like to in, you know, a variety of different digital situations. Tell us a bit about how you look at that strategy, find people. It might be really casual in a way, but I'm just kind of curious how you look at it. Yeah. So you you had asked at one point, and we had talked a little bit about the teen and parent conversation, which is great. However, I don't want to dismiss, you know, that people are often turning to social, social media to get educated on their finances. We know that they're turning to platforms like TikTok, uh, Reddit, et cetera, to actually become educated on these topics, sometimes even before they have conversations with close family members and friends. So as a result, you know, we really see it as our responsibility to be there. That was an interesting time. Already, yes, exactly. I mean, yeah. Pamela, they were already having these conversations, right? And so we oh. really felt like we know they're there. They're having the conversations. They are asking us questions. And we really felt like it's our responsibility to make sure that we are also part of that community. We are responding directly with them and we're answering their questions. And then what's really fascinating is that sometimes like we don't even need to inject ourselves. is like people are talking to each other. Now, of course, that can backfire. Don't get me wrong. But we always want to make sure that we are part of that platform, part of these communities. And then TikTok. TikTok's another one. I, I don't know if you saw actually the recent you know study and information that came out from Google that for Gen Z, people are actually using TikTok more than Google search in order yeah, to actually find it. information. That's I know, my, that's crazy my um, experience with children. Yeah. Yes. And so if we know that they're there and I, and I do use this analogy a lot, like let's pretend Pamela, you weren't in this industry. Right. And on Monday, you're a chef, you're cooking in a restaurant, you're having a great time. But then, you know, on Tuesday, you're like, 
I don't want to be a chef anymore. I want to be a FinTalk star. Right. Pamela goes from being a chef on Monday to them being a FinTalk star on Tuesday. But Pamela, you know nothing about finances. You know nothing. However, you know, someone could find you, you know, on that platform and they could be like, oh, Pamela knows what they're talking about. So we just want to make sure that we are showing up, you know, Fidelity is showing up. We are being a present there because we do know what we're talking about. Um, we know how many people are looking for education and we have so much great education that we, again, see it as our responsibility to make sure we're on those platforms, providing the correct um, education for individuals who are already turning there and making sure that we're a presence among all the Pamela FinTalk stars that might be out there as well. Well, what sort of feedback, what, what do you hear from young investors when, when the engagement happens, when their questions are coming in, when there's you know general loops of feedback happening? Are there any questions you could share with us? I'm sure a lot of them are basic, right? Everybody wants to know how to save more, but is there anything that you could just share that might highlight? Yeah, I mean, I could probably for. talk a while on this. So, <laughs> you know, honestly, sometimes just on- Just the clean stuff, just the clean yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah, so um, it, it, it honestly, sometimes it does vary depending on the platform, right? So on Reddit, you know, we do happen to have a lot of more, I would say, uh, sophisticated investors who a lot of their feedback and questions are more centered around trading and investing, right? That they're, they're looking for questions, they're looking for guidance, they're looking for help. So that's what we're seeing on, on, on Reddit. Some of the other platforms, not, not that they're not savvy per se, but we tend to like skew a little bit more novice. TikTok is a perfect example. You know, just the question like, what is a mutual fund and, and why do I need it? Or, you know, the one that we, we will get and I think we'll continue to get forever quite candidly, Pamela, even putting aside how many people leaning into the stock market is how do I get started, right? Like they, they hear us say, you know, you got to start investing. You can start small. It doesn't cost a lot. But Everyone's still on everybody's wondering, you know, how do I even get started? You know, what should I do first? And so a lot of the education is around like taking a step back, understanding the goal, you know, understanding your time horizon, understanding the risk. And then once you put money in the account, you know, what do you actually put into the account to get it started investing for you? We also do have questions more on what I would say is the save spend category. Like, how can I save a little bit more and spend a little bit less? You know, these are all kind of questions feedback that we're getting. On that save more, spend less, like what's the equivalent today to the antiquities question of like Oprah's don't buy a coffee type thing? Like, is, what is that now? Is that, you know, take one subscription off or like what, what sort of... <laughs> What's what's the equivalent of like on your daily sort of route of spending? Don't do yeah. this one thing, make your lunch or whatever that yeah. is. <laughs> You're making me laugh because you said Oprah. I was like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. You know, that's also an expense, you know, <laughs> that we're often hearing from our next generation of customers, you know. So often what we'll, we'll tell people, and even through some of our products, that we don't want people to completely cut spending directly from their life because what happens is that when people are like, you've got to spend less, like the guilt sets in. And once you actually do spend, you feel this tremendous amount of guilt. And we're actually seeing this with teens, like the link between financial health and mental health is so strong. Like they're already seeing this as teens. I know, you know, older people are feeling that as well. But I think that what we don't want to do is like put more guilt on individuals 
you know, in terms of their spending. But we do want to educate them on, yeah, it's like the small steps. Like it is kind of creating a, a little bit of a, even though people hate that term budgeting, like it is kind of creating a little bit of a budget. It is taking a step back and doing a plan. So, you know, although there isn't one necessarily rule of thumb, Pamela, and that's why we kind of keep some of our budgeting rules a little bit more flexible. What I always say, and this is more of a Kelly thing than an, I wish I could be compared to Oprah. It's not Oprah quite yet, my friend, but you know, this is more of a Kelly thing. It's just like, exactly, you know, like take the small steps, right? Like take the small steps because if, if you go too much, maybe you have an off week or have a month, month, you don't want that completely derail you. So I'm a big believer and it's like the small steps, you know, make one very small goal for yourself, make progress against it, and then celebrate yourself if you do that. You know, let's say it is cut that one coffee. If you can keep it going for a whole month, you know, and after the month, you know, then buy yourself that fancy coffee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you got to start small because I think sometimes starting, but to the questions you were asking on what's the feedback, everyone's asked, well, how do we even get started? Sometimes getting started is the hardest part and we need to make sure that we're even rewarding people for doing that. What will you tell your kids? A couple oh, things, like one or two yeah. on this front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's that's good advice, and I should probably think about it because you know I have a one-year-old. Um, she still like doesn't sleep very well, so I should start educating her too. At that's maybe how I could put her to sleep, right? Start like talking financial. Let her listen to the stock market or something. She'll yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kinnon will be out. Yeah, that's going to be my new technique tonight. You know, she <laughs> she gives me up. Just start talking finance. You know, listen. Um, I have a young daughter. I've already shared a little bit about you. Some of the trends that we're seeing in terms of teens and their investing behavior. I just want to make sure that she leans in, you know, more than ever. I will always tell her to save. I think that's very important. I will spend some time educating her on the power of investing and how it doesn't have to be so scary. You can start small. We'll actually show her probably by giving her a little bit to put in the stock market. But more importantly, you know, I will tell her to, you know, make sure she has a good idea of what she wants. And in terms of like the goals, even if when she's young, if she wants to buy, I don't know, she's obsessed with like Sesame Street right now, you know, even a Sesame Street character, you know, like we can use that in all examples because we've actually found that talking to kids about money as early as six, seven years old, it can have a lasting impact on their life. So we're just going to make sure that we have that money talk early and often. Lee Lennon, I can't thank you enough. It's been wonderful to speak with you. And I really, uh, I hope that you'll come back and speak with us again. I feel like I, I've been jotting down notes here. So you're, you're a haunted <laughs> okay. knowledge. Thank you very, very much. And uh, we wish you well for the rest of the summer. Yes, you too, Pamela. And this is always one of my favorite conversations with one of my favorite people in our company. I love everything about what y'all are doing in Canada. And I hope that we can talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.